Sarah, this is a very exciting episode of Fate of Mates you're not on. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not really an episode of Fate of Mates. It's but not it's an episode of Fate of Mates. such a great conversation that I basically begged you and Adriana to let us put it out on Fate of yeah, Mates. It was really cool. If you missed Jen and Adriana talking about trauma in romance and writing trauma in romance, you missed an an incredible conversation on Facebook, but we are bringing it to you here in your ear holes uh, on Faded Mates. And I'm thrilled. It was a great combo. I just said combo like that's a thing I say. It's, well, you obviously do. Here's here's what I would say. It's not, it is not like an episode of Faded Mates, but it is about romance. I think it's really interesting. And I think even if you're just a reader and not a writer, I think it would be a really interesting thing to listen to because I think it would make you, I think you will read books differently after you listen. So I hope that people give it a chance. Yeah. So without further ado, here's Jen and Adriana, uh, two of our faves, uh, collective, me and everyone else, not you, Jen. Um, (laughs) I am my own fave. It's okay. Here's Jen and Adriana, two of my faves. Brilliantly, as they always do. So, we had questions that you and I had come up with, but I don't know if you want to, if, you, if something's occurred to you. Well, like, talk about first, first, we should introduce ourselves. That's oh, what we should do. That's right. first. You go, I go first? Okay. Hey, everyone. I'm Jen Prokop. Jen reads romance. Um, this is my, oh my God, like the smartest woman I know, Adriana Herrera. And she has this great idea, and I want her to explain why. Um, I'm a critic and a reader, but I care deeply about romance. And I care deeply about romance doing things right. So. Okay. I am Adriana Herrera, and I am a romance author, and I am also a trauma therapist. So um, in short, I am someone that works as a clinic, as a clinician with um, adults and children who have experienced interpersonal violence and have a PTSD diagnosis. So I only work with individuals that have, um, their trauma has such severe symptoms that it's like basically like hindering their day-to-day functioning. So that's the kind of um, clients that I work with. So I think a lot about trauma, of course, because it's my job and also how trauma themes are rendered and talked about and treated in fiction and specifically the fiction that I write and that I love to read, which is romance. So we thought it would be a good idea to have a conversation today about some basics, some things to think about, and some of the common themes that we see in romance and how people could address them differently. Okay, hold on, because Kelly said she can't see us, so I'm going to... Oh, okay. I'm going to make sure by looking for you. Okay. Make sure that we're there. Mm. Oh, it says going live. Hold on, but... Oh, yes, it says, oh, yeah, I think it's, I think it's working. Okay, perfect. Okay. All right. All right. Sorry. Yeah, I see that there's people watching. I I have a little eyeball. Okay. All right. So one of the things that, um, a little background, and we can put links in the show notes. (laughs) Um, You and I actually kind of bonded a few, couple of years ago. We were having lunch. And we were talking about a book that we had both read and um, you and I, and we're not going to, one of the things we want to say is like, we're not here to shame authors. We want people to learn. So we're going to name positive books that we think do it well, but then sort of talk vaguely about books that we think like didn't quite work. Um, And that's just because it's easier to give examples, but we're not here to like neg anybody. Right. So um, one of the things, so this was like a real bonding moment for us because I'm really interested in romance, like doing what it does really well. And like with your expertise, we ended up having a really interesting conversation about how um, it works. um, 
like when it doesn't work. And then like, I think one of the things we want to dive into is like why that's a problem. Um, so one of the things that I thought would be really interesting to hear you talk about is like, what, what is trauma? Like when you say trauma, like, what do you even mean? So trauma is any event or any experience that a person has that makes them feel, feel fearful for their lives, um, overwhelmed or anything that to any degree like scares you so much that it overwhelms you and makes you think that you might die. Mm. And, and that could happen, could be an isolated event. For example, like, you know, you have a car accident or it could be more prolonged exposure to, to traumatic experiences. Like for example, domestic violence, when you're in a long-term situation where trauma happens constantly or abuse in childhood. And so that's basically like what a trauma is. And trauma looks very different. Something that could be traumatic to me would not be traumatic to someone else or the, if the impacts of it as well. Like, you know, there are children who have a loved one that dies and they get like, they, they heal from it. They grieve. They, they're able to process it. Sometimes they go to, to a therapist that helps them like, you know, process their grief and, or that traumatic incident. And then they move on from it and it's fine. And then for some other people, for example, a child that doesn't have a home where they're supportive adults or doesn't have the things that they need to like be okay. Then for that child, the loss of a parent, when they already have so many other things in their lives that may be traumatic, like could have like long-term really negative impact. So like, that's also something to think about, like, the combination of traumatic things that happen to someone. Yeah. So one of the things that, um, and I mean, romance is really invested in the idea that love heals. <laughs> right. And I think that that's something like we all believe in at some level. So why can't love heal trauma? So love can't heal trauma because um, trauma is not something that's like in your heart or like in your feelings. Trauma is something that um, happens like in the brain, like in the, like it impacts how the brain functions. And it also like the effects of it, you feel it like in your body. And it's not something that like can just be like switched off. Like, a good feeling can turn off the bad feeling of trauma. Like that's not how thing how trauma works. So like how trauma works in the in in a person is um, very quickly. So you have your brain, and the front part of your brain, like your front frontal cortex, the part of your brain that's like the decision maker, like the part of your brain that tells you, no, Jen, don't put your hand in that um, open flame because you're gonna burn it. Mm -hmm. And then the center of your brain, your amygdala, is your smoke alarm. So that's the part of the brain that turns, like, that fight-or-flight effect. What we think about, like, fight-or-flight, freeze, like, you hear a gunshot and all of a sudden you're, like, two, two blocks down the street. That's because your frontal cortex has gone offline and your amygdala's online and you're, like, in survival mode. So what happens after trauma is that the amygdala can no longer tell when there's real danger or there's just like they think they're in danger. So the the smoke alarm is hypersensitive. If anyone's ever lived in a New York City apartment, probably Chicago's the same. Your smoke alarm can't tell when you're like burned your toast or when there's an actual fire. So like that's how this, that's how the amygdala works after you've experienced trauma. So what happens is when um when you have experienced trauma, you haven't processed it properly. Your brain doesn't store that memory of that trauma as something that happened in the past. It stores it as something that is still happening. So when, when you remember trauma, you're reliving it. And so that what happens is that you have symptoms, you have reactions to reminders of that trauma. And for example, if you've been like, if you've survived, and I should have said this before, we're going to talk about, um, we're not going to give graphic details, but I will be naming Sorry. traumatic things. So, for example, if you're survive rape, for example, if you're a rape survivor, um, intimacy can be a trauma reminder. If someone is like, <clears throat> I can talk about like cases of clients that I have. I have 
some a client who it was raped when they were 16 years old. They're now in their late 30s. And just now they're starting to process their trauma from that event and intimacy is easier for them. For the entire, like for the last 20 years, sex for them has been a triggering and like event. So when they have sex with their partner, even though they love their partner, it's still something that sometimes like it's very, very like triggering. They're stiff. They don't feel comfortable. They're not enjoying themselves. And even though they know that it's their partner, there are things happening in their brain and reminders that are happening from that moment, from that event. That, that still feel very present, very real. And that happened 20 years ago. And their partner's a great partner, very loving. So that's the thing that is important to understand about um, real, real trauma and real people. Because, for example, for this person, reading about a rape survivor who was cured by their, parent, by their partner's penis could be... I wouldn't say triggering, but it would feel like like they're being kind of cheated with their own experience because what we know is that that's not how people recover from trauma. Right. Like one of the things I think about a lot as a reader is, and this is, you know, I, I believe, I love romance. I believe in romance, but, you know, if I think that healing from trauma is easy because I see it that way in a in every romance, then when I am trying to be a good friend or support people in my life who've experienced trauma, maybe I will be impatient with them. Right. Like I think about this a lot. Maybe I'll think like, why aren't you, why aren't you better? Um, like, so here's like an, a, a personal example. My, um, my dad was in Vietnam and he's, if he's, it's, he's difficult. He's a difficult person. And that was how, like, I don't know, however many years ago. Right. Yeah. And one of the things like my husband and I have been rewatching, um, this, the Ken Burns Vietnam documentary. I, I actually am not rewatching. I'm watching it for the first time. And I feel like it's really giving me a sense of like, why, like why this has really changed his entire life. Well, and there was one part where a, a, a gentleman was talking about how, you know, he really struggles with the idea that, like, he was such a good soldier because nobody really wants to be good at that, but that it required him to, like, be numb. And that he, like, if he was, and he said something, I can't remember the exact quote, but he was basically like, I can't, it's not great in your personal life, but it is great if you're at war. And I just, it, and so it's been really like kind of eye-opening for me to think, well, I can never really understand my dad because I'll never understand this life, this, so, this year of his life has been something he's been dealing with for yes. the rest of his life. And, it's, right? and the thing about trauma is so like in, in my clinic where I work, um, we only work with survivors of interpersonal violence. So all of my clients have experienced, um, you know, a range of things, child sexual abuse, sexual abuse, an adult sexual assault, and adults, an adulthood, human trafficking and um, domestic violence. So a range of like very, very violent, very traumatic experiences. And the thing about um, trauma is the trauma, right? So like it happens. And so your sen- your nervous system is sensitized because you've experienced something so so scary and so violent that now, you know, you know what it, like your brain knows that there's like serious danger that can happen to you. And so when you're reminded of that event, like it brings up feelings that are intolerable. So thinking about your dad, for example, who is um, a Vietnam veteran. Um, I talk about this in my workshop. You have, for example, a romance hero who is a Afghanistan war veteran, you have someone who has, let's say, for example, an amputated leg and has PTSD. So maybe like he has a tremor, like a ghost tremor from his leg. And that ghost tremor is a reminder for him that he lost that leg in a situation where he couldn't, um, where he couldn't help his friend. That is a trauma reminder, and that's going to bring on a trauma reaction that could be aggression, that could be depression, mm-hmm. that could be shutting down, that could be numbing, avoidance. 
Um, we don't talk about, um, we don't use the term self-harm in our clinic because we're working from a trauma-informed lens. But what we use is for those situations is extreme coping. And extreme coping can be using alcohol, using substances, um, cutting. Um, for some people who have experience, for example, for survivors of child sexual abuse, um, reenacting um, the abuse, like having mm -hmm. sex with um, people as a way to cope with the pain and the um, intolerable feelings of the trauma reminder. So like that's something to think about because that's like a lot of things that a person is carrying with them in as a survivor. And what I will say though, is that like, that doesn't mean that you can't have a person who has lived through that and have a life that's like joyful and full of good things, even as they're processing that. Most of my clients have families, have partners. I mean, not my, have like really little clients, like four-year-olds, but like <laughs> the one who are, who are, the ones who are adults, like they have, you know, they, some things, some joys, some things they can experience, some things they can't, but it doesn't mean that they're not working towards them and that they're not like able to. Like, right. I always say like, we have to maintain hope. I have to maintain hope. Like if I wouldn't be hopeful that my clients can all get better, I couldn't do my job. Right. One yeah. of the, so let's talk about like romance then, because obviously you're a, a trauma expert and I think you come at it from a lens of like, this doesn't, the way it plays out for me is a little different than the way it plays out for you. For me, I feel like a thing I've, I've said a lot is if you're going to put the trauma on page, then I would like to see the healing on page. Yeah. And that then is like a really like delicate balance. Like I, so the way it plays out for me as a reader and a critic is like something feels not right. Right. Like right. I, I just get this sense that like people are rushing in to something and how is this going to work out when they've right. just gone through this big other thing? Um, but I also think that um, then it like that compromises like the HEA, to be honest. Right. Like and that's what romance is all about right now. Again, in real life, people are talking a journey, but we're talking about in romance. Like, how am I supposed to believe this this? pairing or these people are going to be happy together when one of them is really has gone through some things yeah and right. so and i'm gonna give you like okay so i'm gonna give this first so the three stages of healing from trauma according to judith herman who is like probably the most like she changed the game for the trauma field, mm -hmm. um, as most women do with everything. <laughs> so Judith wrote a little book that changed the trauma field forever. And she did it by dragging <laughs> Freud first. It's like in the prologue. It's actually Hero. amazing. Yes. So What's anyway, the name of the book for everybody, just called, in case people are interested? It's called Trauma and Recovery. Um, I always have it by my desk. It's Trauma and Recovery. Okay. by Judith Herman, The Aftermath of Violence from Domestic Abuse to Political Terror. So Judith talks about three stages of trauma, first, feeling from trauma. One is establishing safety, and that's physical safety, emotional safety. Two is telling the trauma story, and that's when the person is able to talk about what happened to them. And three is reconnection. And that is like reconnecting with your community and establishing secure connections with loved ones. So the third part of healing is that part that we write about where people are starting to fall in love, to trust again, to join their community, to regain like trust in, in the world and kind of like be grounded again in the fact that actually the world for the most part is a safe place, but horrible things do happen other than the coronavirus, which we'll talk about later. We'll get there. <laughs> but um, having said that, so those are kind of like the three stages that you kind of have to go through to get, like in the trauma practice, like there's a million different modalities, but those are kind of like the stages. So setting that up, you have a character that has experienced um, trauma. Could be one incident, could be like the death of a loved one, like a violent death, or it could be something like, interpersonal violence or childhood trauma, then you have to know that you have to walk them kind of to like those stages. But let's talk about Lord of Scoundrels. Oh, okay, let's. <laughs> okay, so Lord of Scoundrels to me is the perfect example of someone 
that of an author that sets up the stage for us to understand the behaviors of a person that has lived through trauma and the, the reasons why they do the things they do. And opposite that person who's a trauma survivor puts a love interest that is not exacerbating those symptoms and that is holding this person's <laughs> behavior and experience. Because we were holding Dane's behavior. I was holding things. Dane's oh, behavior. Yeah. Because Dane experienced childhood trauma. Childhood trauma is different than tra trauma in adulthood because um, tra tra childhood trauma really kind of changes how the brain works. And depending on the type of trauma experience, like it creates disrupted attachment. So this is someone that really, there's a thing called um, reactive attachment disorder and other things that really interfere, hinder a person's ability to connect to others. Right. And that's why you have someone like Dane, who is his, uh, his affect, like his, his emotions are all off. Mm -hmm. You know, when he, he freezes, his yeah. mind, like, and you read him, his mind is blurry. He can't think straight. When she is, you know, when she comes in, like, he's having so many feelings that he has been numb to that he literally does not know what's happening. He's like not computing. Right. <laughs> when he's angry, he can't think. His mind is foggy. And so all of that makes absolute sense because in the prologue she told me this was a child that experienced extensive trauma right so as an adult he's going to be a dysregulated adult someone who cannot manage his emotions someone who doesn't even understand some of that emotions that he's handling and when he can't handle his emotions he shuts down i wanted to say like I know it sounds terrible, but dysregulated is, I think, like a really powerful word for talking about feelings in that way. Yes. Um, because I think that it, one of the things I like about it is it feels like value neutral as opposed to like, right, like someone with dysregulated feelings, there's a reason behind it usually, as opposed to us being like, oh, they're cold or they're frigid or they're, um, you know, they're they're moody, like whatever. I feel like all those words really have like a lot of value judgment. And so one of the things I just really like is like, when I talk about like, then I can say, well, of course, Dane is dysregulated. And then like, it's, you know, he experienced this in childhood. He's never really had a chance to like process it. She says things to him that like really help him like process and learn. And then he's like moving down a path of uh, to be more regulated and yeah. I really think that that's a, it's powerful to me as a reader to have like that language that's not as judgy, you know, for yeah. lack of a better word. Yeah. And we really try like in the trauma framework or when we're working from like a trauma framework to not use like, that's what we use things like, we don't use things like self-harm. Mm -hmm. We use words like extreme coping because we try to hold again, like we hold the trauma. Yeah. So we try to hold that everything that a person who's been traumatized does is an adaptation. It's them finding a solution for feelings that are intolerable. So to us, that's, re that's where the resilience of trauma survivors happens. It's like something that seems inexplicable to you, behavior that is really right. strange <laughs> or what you feel as like really ir irrational is actually a, like their way of finding like coping, like coping, finding things to keep going, to function, to be okay. And so for Dane, for example, he is, uh, he's very aggressive. Mm -hmm. He comes off as angry because mm -hmm. he doesn't want anyone to get close. And so and he's someone that's experienced a lot of pain. So he's very disconnected from his emotions. Mm -hmm. And so one, because she set it up so well, we can see him and his behaviors and really truly understand, okay, so this is why he acts this way. And to me, that's what's beautiful about Lord of Scoundrels and how she sets that up. And also with Jessica, who is someone who is so steady, mm -hmm. who is not judgmental, other than when she does that thing when she wears the mantilla, but he really <laughs> did, deserve he did deserve that. It's fine. <laughs> but through this book, we see this woman stepping up again and again and showing him that she yeah. is right there with him and that she 
is not interested in judging him and is not interested in engaging with him in ways in which she tells him that he is disgusting or that he's abominable or that he is less than. And then that's what reaffirms to him that he's someone worthy of love. And then I buy that HEA all the way. Yeah, absolutely. So I think for me, I will say as a reader, and maybe you can talk to to this, like one of the things that I, I guess I really struggle with, especially as you describe those stages, is that if like the trauma happens on page mm-hmm. and then it's like, boom, I'm in a romantic relationship. So I read a book where um, uh, a musician, I don't remember if he was a drummer or a guitar player, but the begin, literally the beginning of the book is he and the band are in a terrible accident and he loses an arm. Mm-hmm. And then he basically a, a a woman who's on site who's a doctor like saves him and like kind of drags him out of the bus or whatever and they end up like striking up this romantic relationship within like a week or two or something and it just felt like I really I I'm not an expert but I was like this doesn't feel right like he has been through you know he's lost his career this is the way he. You know, and it was just like so much that I actually had to stop reading because I was, I just felt like, you know, the speed at which they moved from like trauma to, to like falling in love was like paper thin. And I, so one of the things I feel like is, you know, why does it work with Dane, but not, is it because we know that like, you know, is time heals all wounds like real or is that just like. So I think what what worked with to me what worked with Dean is a it was like childhood trauma so okay. it was trauma that he brought into adulthood and I think for him like what he needed was someone that risked connecting with him and then mm-hmm. once he like the and once he found that connection then he had kind of like a secure attachment that he could kind of like hold on to as he kind of explored his feelings and the way that things were happening with him. And with the case of this person who has the, the loses an arm and whatnot, like everybody deals with trauma differently. Like, and that's one of the things that like, there's no way, no, no right way to react to a traumatic situation. There's no right way to act in an extreme situation like for example that's something that we talked about a lot in sexual assault especially like when it goes to court case cases and things like that that um, police law enforcement and judges need to be educated on that like just because a victim or a survivor is not like wailing and like Mm. completely like this raw and like in the spirit doesn't mean that she didn't experience what she experienced that the assault didn't happen So that's one thing. But the other thing is, like, when you have someone who has experienced that level of trauma, like, again, it's like the things that happen to the brain. Like, there's going to be a restricted affect. That person is going to be in a fight-or-flight mode, still literally, like, processing and dealing with, like, the intolerable feelings, the fear of that event. And so... Like that, uh, like that connection is not going to be as solid as mm-hmm. something that could be like viable for happily ever after. Like it could be something that could help him in the moment. But if that other person doesn't take the care to understand what trauma looks like and he's not getting his own help around the trauma. Right. Then that's not going to be like a super solid HEA. Right. Right. That's, yeah. Well, and I think then, like, my, like, my question is, okay, so, like, why, okay, so, like, one of the things I'm thinking a lot about is, I really like, um, I like a, like, a really, like, meaty conflict, I like a really multi-layered character, I really, uh, like, love people who are, like, overcoming real struggles to be together, Um, but I don't like trauma as a shortcut for that, right? Right. So, how can you, how, like, what is your advice to authors for how they can, like, respectfully you know, give people complex, like interesting lives. Like these are things that happen to people. Right. right. But right. still respect that 
like healing needs to have happened or that this is going to be, it's going to play out in the romance. I mean, I think things to think about, for example, is at what stage in their recovery are you like starting your story? So like Mm -hmm. you said, like if you are in a situation where you have a woman that is actively in a domestic violence situation and in that same book, without having gotten the help that they need and the treatment that they need, they're going into a new um, relationship. That's concerning. Because to me, as a professional, like if I have a client who comes to me and has, like, I have a client, I have multiple, multiple, <laughs> I have multiple clients who have had very long term relationships where there has been extreme violence. Yeah. And they're just recently coming out of that relationship. They start a new relationship. We don't judge, but we try to find, like, figure out what's going on there. Like, Mm -hmm. what is this relationship like? What's this person like? Like, what's happening in that relationship? Because the reality is that there are things that happen in a domestic violence relationship that really impacts that the, a person's ability to, um, to like really calibrate power and control and like can be vulnerable to certain things, certain dynamics. And so yeah. to me, that's something like, like placing something like that in a story where you have someone in the first half of the book or whatever, like the first in, chapter or whatever. Yeah. Like, then you have to like, really work on saying like what's been going on have they been going to support group have they been going to therapy are they do they have a really supportive family like have they been on antidepressants like i would love to see more people taking antidepressants Mm -hmm. and anti-anxiety medicine in contemporary romance so things like that that you can say like there's there are things happening for this person but you can also like put them a little further along in their healing process and just like speak to that trauma and speak to that healing as something that has happened. And you can show some of the work that has happened before. Right. Right. I think, yeah, that's a great emotional arc. I think for a survivor and for a partner of a survivor, I think it's a beautiful um, emotional arc to have someone that has like, really learns like learns their strength like their internal strength and how much they can survive they can withstand i think that's something that's really i don't know i think it's something that is really powerful as opposed to saying that like you can like heal right years of trauma with like literally a magic wand in the shape of a penis like it's not (laughs) right doesn't work that way and it's not even as satisfying to me as someone that is so um you know has gotten so much better that they really trust they really trust themselves in that love because one of the things that happens a lot with trauma survivors any trauma survivor especially of um um abuse in childhood or sexual assault is like there's a lot of shame Mm -hmm. in not just um, what happened to them, but the things that they did to stay alive. Yeah. And there's a real lack of trust in themselves and their judgment and their ability to make right the good decisions. And all those things are like internally happening for survivors as they embark in a new relationship. Right. And if you don't show that, you don't show them like learn, asserting themselves. Like, no, this is like, I, I can trust this. I can trust myself. Mm-hmm. Like just those moments of like, this is happening for real. Like this is different. Why? Because now I understand that before I wasn't feeling my feelings. And now that I know how to feel my feelings, this is real. This is okay. This person is the right one for me. And that to me has so much of a, um, more well, I think it's really that um romance yeah I think it's really powerful because I I want to I it's important to me that people like entering a relationship like are each bringing something to the table I'm not really personally interested in like a savior narrative right, right. and I feel like that's kind of where it can go sideways right so you know right. like you know, this person saved me. Well, then what happens if something goes wrong with that person? You're not 
you're not strong enough to stand on your own. Right. And so it's interesting, like the, one of the extreme, one of the things I see that's really hard, I think in romance is when characters who have um, experienced some sort of trauma, they're um, I think a, a common extreme coping mechanism is drinking. Yeah. Um, you know, it's clear that this person isn't just like socially drinking, but really is, is flirting with alcoholism or drinking in a way that is, that's not good for them. And then, like, the person comes along and that the drinking just disappears. Mm -hmm. And I'm always like, well, wait, what happened? Like, no one, falling in love doesn't fix alcoholism either. And often it's, for me, like I said, I can tell that the, like, it's on page that it was a coping mechanism, right? Right. So now someone has appeared and they're not drinking anymore. So I feel like that's another way. And it's not to say that I haven't read great stories with people in recovery, right? right? But in this case, again, it's like if this is like the active, like coping mechanism, extreme coping mechanism on page at the beginning, and then that just is gone, you know, that's a real, that's hard, that's hard for me. Is right, because, what are, because the trauma hasn't stopped, like the, no. trauma, like the trauma reactions haven't stopped, the intolerable feelings that they were trying to suppress with mm-hmm. alcohol haven't stopped. Right. They can't stop even if they're falling in love. So what does that mean to me as a clinician? And I'm not saying this in every case, everybody's different. Sure. To me as a clinician, then I'm going to have to put the question up to my client. Um, so what are you using now? Yeah. Right. To suppress the intolerance because we were, you were experiencing those, you know, you were drinking five, six nights a week because you were so activated and right. so you're not you drinking, but what are you do you, like? What are you using? What's replaced it? Yeah. And so if it's the love interest, if it's the good feelings with the love interest or the distraction with the love interest, then that in the long run is not going to work. Right. Right. So yeah, I mean, I like so you know it's interesting because again, I'm a I'm not like you're the expert, right? I, but. I think that those are the types of ways yeah. in which I see it it coming out. I I do yeah, think it's like not a hack for trauma for healing for trauma. It just yeah isn't. yeah and right. So, and 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 the thing about it is, and and I think you and I talked about it the other day, and I think I put it on my thread is like the thing is like you don't have to take a deep dive into um, trauma processing or healing from trauma with every romance book that has traumatic yeah, things happen to people because like i said romantic suspense military romance um paranormal romance like there people are constantly experiencing traumatic events people are falling from cliffs people are beheading <laughs> other monsters like right. they're they're burning a building they're having danger sex in a burning car All these things are happening, but that is not the story. The story is whatever crime they're trying to investigate, whatever bad guy they're trying to get at, um, you know, save the world or what military romance is a man that's come back from war is trying to, um, you know, live a normal life. And like the trope is that he's a military guy, but it's not the, the, the story is not his PTSD from the war. Right. I think that's exactly what it is. It's kind of like that's that same thing. Like, right. If you're going to put the trauma on page, then you have to put the healing on page. And if you're not, if it's just like a plot point, it's incidental. Right? It's just things that are happening. To right. Push the story because as the story goes, these things need to happen, but it's not what is bringing the two people together. It's very different to say, um, you know, um, my husband like was abusive and almost tried to kill me. And then I was abused as a child and we come together and what keeps us together are the wounds from those traumatic experiences. Yeah. But if like, I've got all my baggage and you've got all your baggage and we're trying to kill a bad guy. <laughs> Sorry. That's amazing. Yeah. I want to read that. But then our, then our baggage, of course, will come up and it will, it'll like, you know, give texture and some color to the emotional arc of those people, the wound. We need to explore the wound as romance authors. 
but it's a very different type of analysis or like of rendering of the trauma if like what they're looking for is like you know yeah. whatever russian mafia person <laughs> they're trying to find out wherever they are and not like you know, I've been hurt, I've been broken, and you've been hurt and you're broken, and, like, our brokenness is what, like, brings us right. together and keeps us together. Yeah, because that doesn't feel great. That's a house of cards, right? So right. I think one of the things, um, we had a couple of other, um, I like looking at my notes or whatever. Um, one of the things that I wanted you to talk about was um, we'd mentioned like we sort of as we were planning this idea and you mentioned it a little bit earlier but I think it's like worth talking about is like traumatic memories are not like regular memories can you yes. like say a little bit more about that yeah so basically what happens with traumatic memories is that the brain like if you think about the brain like a filing cabinet so the brain is like a filing cabinet and it stores things like in their proper folder so things that happened before that you need all the, like, things that you've learned that you need all the time, like, brushing your teeth. Like, that gets stored in a filing cabinet. And, for example, like, that afternoon when you were, tw when you were 20, that your college boyfriend and you went to the fair and he kissed you for the first time. And you can still smell the ice cream that you had that day. That's, like, a memory that gets stored in a different filing cabinet. But, for example, if you were, let's say, in a car accident and you still remember the fear mm -hmm. when that car was turning over. That memory doesn't get stored in a, like, pastime filing cabinet. It gets stored in a, that's still happening filing cabinet. So when you remember it, you remember it with every emotion, with every mm -hmm. feeling that you remember. So your heart beats fast. Your head gets fuzzy. The fear freezes you. You're like sometimes you in know, your body, right? You feel in your body. body because what happens is the brain, like I talked about, the alarm in the brain sends the signal danger, and then something called cortisol. It's um, it gets released in the body, and that's like what like like makes your heart pump much faster, so that like the blood is in your heart, so that you can run so that you're ready for danger like that gets released and so like that's when like people that get scared like you feel like your hands get really cold sometimes mm -hmm. or you feel hot inside or you feel like you're nauseous all those things are because your body is preparing for danger yeah and so that's what happens when someone has a traumatic memory all those things get activated and for some people is they just freeze yeah. For some people, as they get aggressive, for some people, as they start crying, for some people, they pee their pants. Like, it's a very, like, very, very varied ways to react. But that's what a traumatic memory is, is like right. actually physically, physiologically. Well, um, and then that's your whole day, right? I mean, so if you are giving, like, you know, if I read about a character who has this kind of like, like, you know, it's whatever it's called, right? Whatever an author calls it. I, and then, like, they go out later with their friends or whatever. I'm like, no, they're in bed now. Like, that's, right? Like, this, yeah. and the setback, like, sort of emotionally, however they're feeling. So, you know, if you're giving an extreme trauma response, it feels like, to a character, and then, like, not taking care of them or show, or, or they're not taking care of themselves, right? And I can know what to do. Like, I have, I have a client who is someone in their 60s, and this person has experience, like, I, it's like a really long list of traumatic things that have happened to them. And the most recent one was they fell at work and they like lost their eyesight for like a couple of months. They couldn't move. Like they have like, I have multiple surgeries. And so their health is like, they're losing their health because they were a very physical person. And now they're basically like on disability. So their health is, um, an extreme trauma reminder. Like if they feel sick, mm -hmm. if they feel like they're not okay physically, like a, their leg starts to hurt, they completely like shut down yeah. or used to like literally like it, they could not leave their house. And so we've been working together for, for a while now and they've learned to develop skills 
to cope with that. And when they're experiencing that, like they know what their trauma reminders are. Like, Mm -hmm. for example, now with the coronavirus, Mm -hmm. um, they're very hyper aroused, extremely aroused around health. They they don't want to leave their house. And so they, they had a cold like three weeks ago and they were so, so activated that they were in, like, it was literally like they, they were, yeah, like, like it was intolerable. It was unbearable, the level of stress and like how distressed they were. Mm-hmm. But they know now that that's a trigger for them, that when they feel like they're getting sick and they feel like they're not going to be able to be okay physically. And so they do relaxation techniques. They go and take a walk. They are at least experiencing their feelings and saying, okay, this is what happens to me when I get scared that I'm going to get sick. Right. And it's made a world of difference for them because now they know what's happening to them as opposed to like just this like, incredibly distressful, distressing feeling that they don't know what's happening. So that I think it's like the big difference of um, having a person, you can have a person having trauma mm-hmm. reactions, you can have a person having trauma reminders, but if at least through the story, they learn to understand what's happening to them and they learn how to, how to cope with it like cope and how to like manage it without using right. things that are not that good for them like drinking mm-hmm. or like starting relationships that may not be safe for them then that's something that like does make a difference and then you're showing like really humane ways for people because all, all of us have trauma right and all of us have feelings and emotions and in moments where we can't stand ourselves like we are like crawling out of our skin and we don't know why. And so that, that's the, the piece of kind of like having that, that moment of realization of that understanding, the, how empowering it is to know like, Oh, this is why I'm, I get like this. Yeah. It's really powerful. And I want to talk about coronavirus. Yeah. Because I think it's important to kind of talk about how traumatic this is for people. And I get that yeah. people are going to write about COVID. Um, but I think that, and I mean, we have to, as contemporary authors, are like a lot of us, I think, are going to have to put it in some story. Personally, I think my personal choice is that I anything that I have planned now, I'm going to write as if it's not happening. Because mm-hmm. I haven't been able to process i don't feel like it's respectful to all the people in the world that are now like losing loved ones terrified and also like losing their livelihoods like i think it's just way too much stigma to be able to like respectfully at this moment when we're all still in it do something that really like kind of like honors what's happening right now but as but it is a traumatic thing that we're all experiencing. Like there's mm-hmm. a collective trauma, right, happening right now. Right now, yeah. And I think it's gonna keep it's something that's gonna have long term effects. It's gonna be a long time before someone coughs around you and you don't want to punch them in the face. <sighs> right. Right. So yeah. I think it's the it's it's something to think about as romance authors, especially for contemporary authors, that we're like we're living in a time where we're going to be left with long term effects, long term reminders of true trauma. Right. That we all experience together. So it's a good time to start thinking how to kind of like blend that into your stories. I, I think after this, a lot of people are going to be more interested in what trauma is like, how right. it happens and how it, um, how you, you know, how, like how you think about it, how you address it. But for us, like, and thinking about if you are going to be writing about people who are trauma survivors in other aspects, remembering that like, we're living also through this collective trauma. Right. Well, and that's the thing. I think the other thing that we've sort of talked about is, um, we want, like, com- I want to read about complex, interesting characters who have, you know, or, or interesting stories who, you know, I, I, like, you give it to me and I want to read it. But one of the other ways I think that, like, we've talked about where things go wrong is um, 
if you're just making a complex character by layering 800 kinds of trauma on them, yeah. it is harder to believe that that, it, again, like people, sur- like people survive amazing things. Right. But it, again, that's not a shortcut to good. A good character is not like, I'm going to just pile a bunch of stuff on them. Of course people yes. have piles of stuff on them, but it's, then you are really making it again it's like it's not that it can't be done but you've just like raised the tightrope up like however many feet and I feel like that's one of the things I also see is adding trauma to a character is not a shortcut for a complex character either right that I thank you for bringing that up because that is something we talked about we talked about complex childhood trauma so that is something that I didn't want to talk about um like I said, in my practice, like all the adults I have are people that have experienced like much, a lot of trauma. Like I have um, a client, for example, that was almost that as an infant, was abandoned, was raised by a grandmother, then was trafficked, like was trafficked by like a sex trafficker for like five years. Then like most recently, what why this person came to me was because coming, like leaving work they were like like robbed at gunpoint and like the person almost like ripped her arm off so all that to say this person has trauma literally from infancy right so but what they came to me for was this like recent trauma where they were like robbed and so that's what we started with Mm-hmm. But then as we started working, then all this other trauma came up. And so then that ex- informs the symptoms that they're having. They can't focus. They've never been able to focus. They can't concentrate. They have been in the, you know, they have a lot of shame around the fact that they never could learn English since they came to the country because they've never been able to focus. That's why you have a lot of little kids who, for example, get diagnosed with an ADHD diagnosis in school because they can't concentrate. And it's a mixed diagnosis because it might be more around community violence. It might just be because they're violence in the home Mm -hmm. and they can't concentrate for other reasons. All that to say is when you, for example, burden a um, a character, not a client, a character Mm -hmm. with, let's say, for example, child sexual abuse, you know, they were abused by their parent and then they were put in a foster home and they were beaten in that foster home and then they went to prison. And, and like all of that trauma without right. processing, this is a person that is going to have so much sim- symptomatology. They're going to be so activated. Uh, like their, their symptoms of, tra- of their trauma are going to be so high that it's going to be really hard for them to have a secure attachment, a secure connection with someone. So that's something to think about. You, you have to either like really build in that they've been processing they've been mm-hmm. learning how to like be okay with their body that they've been like learning how to like be in their own body and it doesn't even have to be like therapy and medication it can be movement it can be a yoga practice it can be art mm-hmm. it can be a good support system it can be they are out in nature it can be mindfulness it can be whatever it is but it has to be things that this person is doing to be okay in their body and in their head because if all of that stuff is supposed to be resolved by like a person that's in love with them. It's not, right. not going to work. It's really not. One of the things I've been trying to keep an eye on like the Facebook comments and they're going by, I can't really see them, but um, Corey Alexander actually just made a, a really interesting point And I don't know if they were around for the whole thing, but uh, I, I think it's worth addressing, which is you mentioned like the stages of um, like trauma recovery. Right. Yeah. And, and the middle one is like telling the trauma story. Yes. And I feel like um, what Corey sort of mentioned is they see um, they see telling the trauma story as being the end of the re- like now I'm fixed 
in a romance. And I actually, I sort of see that too, right? Like, just tell me what happened to you. And then boom, it's sort of over. So I think that's, I just want to point that out. I think that's that's a really powerful point. That's a great point for them to make. And it's a really good point for two reasons. One, and this is something that I should have mentioned earlier, like that stage, like I have been seeing clients for months and Mm -hmm. we have not talked about their trauma. Yes, because the main thing that we need to do in the beginning is assess symptoms and assess how they are coping and accept like excess functioning. Like if you have a person that has so many symptoms that they can get through the day without drinking, then I can't start probing a trauma history that's going to send them home to drink. Yeah. Out of 15. Right. With every intolerable feeling activated to a 15. Yeah. Because they're never, they're not going to come back. They're like, why would I go and talk to this woman so that I can go home and feel terrible (laughs) for an entire week? So the first thing that we do in the, in our practice is we start building coping skills. So it's what I talked about before grounding techniques, relaxation, understanding what's happening to them when they're feeling in a certain way trauma reminders, how to identify them. Yeah. Like when I walk down the street to work and I see the spot where I got robbed, um, I'm activated. And so those are the things we work first. And then they, we, we get to trauma processing, but before we get to trauma processing, this, this person has learned how to cope with their intolerable feelings. This person has cognitive processing. They get like, oh, so when I think about this, this is why I feel this way. And this is why I run to going to that pint of ice cream. Mm. So like all of this stuff has to happen before they're ready to tell the trauma story. And once they've told the trauma story, then they need to take that understanding of what they happen and that trust and take it to their community and reconnect in that way too. Right. It's not the end. It's exactly what Corey said. It's not the end. It's the middle part where they're like stable enough to be able to think about it and in their own words say what happened to them. And then from there, then they right. can integrate back into the old life that was broken. Right because of the trauma that happened. Yeah. Cause that's, that's, that's a great point. Like that's often like a, and I don't even, you know, I see it essentially as part of the, you know, the, there's the, the low moment and you know, the, somebody rushes off and then it's kind of like, you have to tell me what happened to you. And then they're like, this is the terrible thing that happened to me. And then it's like, the book's right. over. And that's, and so I think that's like actually a really good point is, is that it's can't be the end. It. That could be the middle. Right. And in real life, Like unloading like that, like it's what we call flooding. Like the last thing I want to see a client doing in my office is flood. And then like walk out the door. And walk out the door. Like they just literally told me the thing that they have been avoiding to talk about for 20 years by drinking, um, extreme coping, suicidal ideations, or whatever it is that's been helping to adapt to these intolerable feelings. And now I've had them like talk to me about them and then we're gonna right. hug <laughs> yeah. right no it's not it's not how it works and it's also honestly it's like it's not good for them like it's not good because they're not re- like they don't have the skill set to to cope with it it's what like um like we talk about um with with our clients and when we're talking about them, how trauma therapy works, it's like, we tell them like, if you cut yourself and you just put a bandaid on it and you don't clean it up mm-hmm. or you don't do anything to it and you leave it like for 20 years, right. just a bandaid on something and you open it up, what are you yeah. going to find? Yeah. And then imagine cleaning that, putting alcohol on that and cleaning yeah. it out. How's that going to feel? Right. So, and we literally give this analogy because we're like, we're going to do that. We're going to open that thing up. We're going to yeah. look at it. It's going to look bad. It's going to smell. Right. It's going to be gonna, painful. It's going to stain. Right? And then yeah. we're going to clean it. And the cleaning is going to feel worse. Yeah. And then it's going to heal. And then it's going to be okay. Yeah. But it's going to be hard work for us here. And there are going to be moments where it's going to feel worse than you were feeling at the beginning. Yeah. And so that's 
that's how healing from trauma works. So if you don't show the hard work, that's and to me, that's also cheating the person. It's like if you don't show the hard work that they do to heal, mm-hmm. then that's also cheating the character and cheating those survivors that are out there that have had that journey, the ability from really seeing reflections of their experience that yeah. honor them in those stories. Well, it's been an hour. Is there anything? I know. I'm like, is there anything that you were like, I'm looking at my notes because I just feel like, you know, I just feel like you're such an asset to Romance Landia and, you know, your books are amazing, but also like this work that you do to help make everyone's books amazing is something that I just think people are really grateful for. And I know that you have given a workshop on this that's really like yes. more specifically about kind of like working people through this. So, yeah. um, you know, I don't know if, if that's something you would consider doing in this format at some point for people, but I think it's really amazing. Yeah. yeah I might actually, I was thinking I'm doing like a two part thing that I, maybe I could post on here or I could mm-hmm. post on YouTube, but if people are interested, just like comment on my Facebook and let me know if you're interested and I could like do a recording and that would be yeah. something that I'd be happy to do. I consider it a service that I do because I think it's important. Yeah. And making you. everyone's books better. So thank you. Well, thank you. I have many opinions and I like to share them. Thank um, you. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. Thank you so much. I'm going to end it now. Okay. Good night. Thank you. I think we ended it.